Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Thirty years ago, uh, at this time, June nineteen ninety one, I was going through a great time in my life as a teenager. I was graduating high school in Toronto. I went to the Guns and Roses concert locally, and I had been accepted into the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I would spend the summer making my plans to attend there. It was a bit of a culture shock for a, a Northern Canadian, a Northman, to uh, drive down and start uh, his education in the, not the Deep South, but the South, in the Atlantic Coast Conference. And my first friend in those days was Billy Ravenel, and we have been great friends ever since. And I'm really happy today to welcome this guy to Jim Rats and Joints because he is a, tr- a true Jim Rat who was an amazing high school basketball player in his own right, but someone who I have spoken to about the NBA and the NCAA for decades now. Billy, so great to see you. Thanks for coming on uh, the show today. Dan, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, we are definitely both. Um, you're, you're an honorary Cavalier. From, That's right. uh, from Virginia. That's right. Great to be on the show, man. Well, it's it's awesome to Thanks have you. B- Billy, Billy, in my mind, could have been a professional athlete. He could have been in the media. But no, he chose to be a <laughs> lawyer. And because he now lives in Philadelphia, he has chosen to be a Philadelphia 76ers fan. So not going to hold that against Absolutely. him. Absolutely. But it, it is what it is. And we are going to talk about the 76ers. We have to. But because of where we are today, June 16th, 2021, we have to start with the game last night. The Brooklyn Nets. Incredible. Scraping by the Milwaukee Bucks in game five to take a 3-2 lead in the series with James Harden basically unable to walk with the hamstring injury and playing. And then Kevin Durant going off for 49, 17, and 10 while shooting over 70%. Bill, I I think we're in agreement that that goes down as one of the great playoff performances we'll ever see. It it was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. And, you know, Kevin Durant, he's one of these guys who, I mean, he's just a – I've always described him as a sniper. He can basically do everything that you would want a scoring forward slash guard to be able to do in the playoffs. If right now, presently, if you need a shot, I can't think of another person that I would want to to take it, especially to create off the dribble. It seems like to me, Dan, 
if if he can get to any spot on the floor, he can get up his shot. He's got range. He's extraordinarily accurate. And and also, even though he only played for, I think he only played about 35 games this year in total, you know, his three-point percentage was 45%. And, you know, he's somewhere between 6'9", 6'11". So when he decides he's going to get a shot off, you know, there, there's not a whole lot you can do. And when he's shooting like that, you know, you could potentially be in real trouble. And just, you know, last night was one of those performances where, you know, kind of jaws to the ground as you watch him. You know, he was, he was like an artist out <laughs> there just carving up the Bucks defense, you know, from range, mid-range, diving into the lane, you know, dishing. <laughs> Was awesome. yeah, he he did whatever he wanted it, and you knew going exactly. in. I mean, you knew going in he was probably going to play forty eight minutes. You knew he was probably going to score fifty points, and I I and I know how brilliant an offensive weapon this guy is. But honestly, there had to be something else that Milwaukee could have done defensively, maybe not to stop him, but maybe hold him to thirty five instead of just allowing him, especially in the fourth quarter, to just take threes from literally anywhere on the court. I mean, you say there's nothing you can do when he decides to shoot. Well, Antetokounmpo is the same height. Why couldn't he at least get a hand in Durant's face while he's taking those shots? Yeah. Yeah. You know, know, and it seemed like – oh, hold on. We have a little bit of echo here. But it seemed like the majority of the – the night. I think they went with Tucker on him again. And I mean, why not? Why not have why not have the Greek freak, you know, right? Durant? But um but the thing is, it seems like he's got so much because he can kill you, you know, three feet behind the three-point line. And off the dribble, you know, he can he can get in the lane really well. So so my thought is that, you know, do you kind of risk sort of tiring out your, your main offensive weapon if you're Milwaukee? And you, you'd say, like, hey, Giannis, we slow this guy down. Um, we need you to put in some extra effort defensively to see if you can get a hand in the face. Because he's, he's what? He's 6'11", too. And he moves like a cat. <laughs> I mean, he's like, he's ex- one of the most agile big men in the league is Giannis. There's no doubt. So you would think he'd be able to get in the squat and then when, you know, when Durant maybe gives, when Durant dips to get that jump shot off, maybe he can bother him just a little bit more than Tucker was able to. Well, I I don't think you can worry about tiring out Giannis. I mean, it's Durant who played the 48 minutes and he's called the Greek freak because of his athletic ability. Also, if, if Giannis focuses a little bit more on the defensive end and maybe takes an offensive possession off here or there, the Bucs should have had more options to score. You know, the, the Nets, you know, they did get the, the – they got really good performances from Jeff Green and, and Blake Griffin, but, you know, still everyone knew it, it, you were re- relying on Durant. I just I, – I don't know that Milwaukee oh, yeah. maybe could have done something different. I mean, P.J. Tucker, he is a good defender, but, yeah, at 6'5", what, what is – 
what is he supposed to do? He, he, didn't, yeah. he didn't have a chance. Yeah, it, it just seemed like they didn't have any schemes. They didn't have any backup plans. And Buddenholzer um, gets criticized for this kind of thing all the time because he's just not a, he's not proactive. He's not reactive. He just, there's the, the it feels like there's the strategy, the game plan, and they never change from it, no matter what's happening in the game. You know what, you know, what was interesting about this game is that, I mean, Milwaukee came out, you know, on fire. I think they were up by like, you know, 21 to six at one yeah. point, you know, at one point they're up like 49, 33. And I think the score was at one point it was 71 to 54. So I'm thinking at that point, they're, they're probably, the thought process is probably, Hey, you know, we can afford to kind of let Giannis focus on scoring um, and try to put Tucker in the, uh, in the whirlwind of a Kevin Durant potential, you know, barrage of buckets. And, um, but then, you know, suddenly, you know, the game started getting a little bit tight, you know, maybe that's when, you know, Milwaukee should have made that adjustment that you're talking about, Dan, when it gets it, at the very least, maybe switched Giannis onto Durant just to try to bother him a little bit. Now he was having a little bit of foul trouble there, and maybe that was another issue. Is that I think um, I'm not sure when he picked up his fourth foul, but you know if Durant, you know one, you know if Durant tries to get by him at some point, and he picks up a block or something like that. You know that might have um, you know put Milwaukee into a a difficult position, but still, you know you you're on the road, you can go up three two have the opportunity to clinch at home, you know, you got to make an adjustment there. I totally agree with you. Well, it just, it doesn't seem like the Bucks have maybe the, the, the desire or the capability to make any adjustments. And I know this personally from watching a lot of their games in 2019 in the East finals, when it was Toronto who made the adjustments down 2-0 and came back and won, uh, Won the won the last four games of that series, but I always go back to the 2019 finals. Bill, I'm going to try not. Try not <laughs> Why to go is there that? Because, uh, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. It, it it has absolutely nothing to do with what's happening today. Um, by the way, there's there's a lot of breaking news coming in right now, and we're we're going to get to we're going to get to all of it. But I, I I still have more to talk to you about the Nets. But I'm I'm hearing from our producer Dan Wong that Chris Paul has been ruled out with due to COVID protocol. Oh no telling when he's going to be able to play. And I, I'm sure Phoenix is now hoping the Clippers and uh, the Jazz go to seven games and hopefully CP3 can yeah. get through it. And hopefully he doesn't have a positive test. Also reading from Brian Windhorse on Twitter, Kawhi Leonard is expected to miss game five against the Jazz tonight what? with a knee injury suffered in game four. Unbelievable. So what the, is going the, on with these injuries? The injuries and illness are just wreaking havoc on the NBA playoffs. And, you know, I, we'll, we'll, let's talk more about those in a bit. But while we have injuries, um, you know, yesterday I, I kept looking at my phone and I was getting the updates on James Harden. You know, he started – he started uh, Tuesday morning out. Then he got upgraded to doubtful. I'm like, who gets? How is doubtful an upgrade? Yeah, that's crazy. 
Right. And then he goes to the morning yeah. shoot room, and now it's questionable. And at that point, I'm like, this guy's going to play. What did you think, Bill, when you when that game started and you saw him with this hamstring that's clearly like it's your hamstring. Yeah. You, you can't move yeah. on the hamstring. And not only that, but you're worried you're just going to snap it in half. What What did you think when you saw him out there? I he looked extremely gimpy. But one thing I will say about James Harden, he was still able to affect the game positively. You know, he's got incredible court vision. And so he was able to stay out there. It looks like he wasn't really willing to shoot the ball. Obviously, he didn't have the um, the, the ability to get off that quick shot from three or to draw fouls like he was able to in the past. And and this, But this also goes back, Dan, to just the um, – the extraordinary ability of Kevin Durant as well. The fact that you can afford to have someone out there for 43 minutes and go for five points, eight boards, single-digit rounds, and you can still carry the team, dive the lane, um, you know, dish to these guys. Like I think he had a, a nice dish to um, Griffin for a dunk. Um, so I, I was – so I, I, you know, I, I admire Harden's grit, you know, the beard's grit and perseverance to get out there and um, compete with his team. But, but also, what's amazing about the Nets is that when if they're if the if any one of those big three is healthy, Irving, Durant, or Harden, they have the potential to affect the game in that manner. Any of those guys could go for forty any night, and that's scary anybody going up against them um so i was i was when i saw when i saw um harden on the floor you know you're wondering well how effective is he going to be and you know he he wasn't himself obviously the the high scoring triple double machine but but um he had some good look he had some good passes he was able to keep the bucks i would say moderately honest you know, with his play on the perimeter. But for the most part, wasn't he just playing kind of free throw line to free throw line? You know, he wasn't he wasn't going full court last night. He just he just wasn't able to do that. Is that sustainable? Well, that that's I mean, that's the question. And and I, I mean, I think um you don't play him in game six because you only need to win one more. Yeah. And I think you have yeah. to put all the house money on game seven. And I mean, hell, Irving might be able to go by game seven. And, and even by then, maybe one of them comes off the bench. You know, if, if you have Durant at this level, Harden at 33%, Irving at 33%, it still gives you a great chance. But why risk it in game six? Like, I mean, man, I'd almost give Durant, yeah. I don't give Durant game six off. I'd almost say, we're going to win this one time and it's going to be game seven. So why, why even take the risk on, on game six that you don't yeah. have to get now when you could grab that rest? I'd give everyone the you day know what's off. Interesting, Dan? Yeah. You know, what's interesting, Dan, that you, that you should say that is 20 years ago, 21 yeah. years ago, Allen Iverson against the bucks in the final, they rest him game six, right? And, you know, he comes back to play game seven and the Sixers win and go on to play the Lakers that year. So, 
as dangerous as that strategy is, you know, to kind of give up a playoff game by resting your starters, you know, it has been done in the past. You know, you always hear of, um, uh, I want to say, is it Bill Walton? Um, you know, the, the Portland center, you know, he basically says, you know, his, his idea is, um, you know, you worry about today, today, you worry about tomorrow, tomorrow, but, but exactly what you're saying, you know, that has been done in the past and successfully against the bucks. So, you know, <laughs> so maybe they, they need to seriously consider that strategy and, and, and specifically game six against the bucks, you know? So yeah, if, you know, if I consider that. If I'm the Brooklyn Nets, I am sacrificing game six to the basketball gods. Let the Bucks feel good about themselves. Hell, we've seen teams win these games. You know, I'm not predicting Brooklyn without any of the big three is going to win game six in Milwaukee. But honestly, at this point, game six means absolutely nothing. There's no point running Durant out there by himself when there's a chance you could get Harden back and and maybe Irving for Game Seven. So I'm 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 doing what the what the 76ers did against the Bucks in 2001. A- again, after they had dispatched a Vince Carter and the Toronto Raptors. Didn't know you were such a 76ers fan that long ago, Bill. Yeah, well, you know, I think you I think at that yet. point I was more of a. No, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. I think at that point I was more of an Iverson fan. You know, we all were. You know, the, you know, the little big man, um, the answer, you know, when he wasn't, when he wasn't in the, uh, the gentleman clubs of, of the various NBA cities or after 50, 55 on Detroit, you know, <laughs> and on so, Toronto. um, so yeah, that, that's why I read it yeah. as Applebee's where he liked to hang out and just like slurp oh. those Coronas and Heinekens at Apple at the local Applebee's. Wait, was it, was it Friday? It was TGI Friday. Friday. Oh, that's yeah, TGI Friday. Yeah, yeah. Hard to keep track up here in Canada, man. Yeah. We don't have those. Uh, yeah. We have Cactus Club and uh, what else? Joey. I was at Joey the other day. So, Bill, I, I think it's time to move on to the Philadelphia series because Game 5 is coming up against right. Atlanta. Joel Embiid gets named to the All-NBA second team at center. Yeah. Um, which shows you how crazy competitive life is, you know, like absolutely Jokic and Embiid are probably, I think they were one, two in the MVP, but they're the same position. So Jokic gets first team, Embiid gets second team, puts him in the territory for the super max deal. Joel Embiid is going to be able to yeah. buy countries for himself. Uh, <laughs> in the future. Yeah. But more yeah. importantly, to Philadelphia 76ers fans and Joel Embiid fans like yourself, Billy from Philly. What right. chance That's do the right. Sixers have right now? Embiid is looking like that slight, and I use quotation marks, that slight tear in the meniscus slowed him down in games three and four. I think only 17 points in game four. How far can these guys go? with him having that kind of injury? I'm concerned. I am concerned because watching the game, you know, um, he just obviously he, he did not have the lift and the explosiveness that he normally does, especially in the second half. 
watching him go 0 for 12 in the second half was was deeply concerning. And the other thing is when I mean when Embiid's in the game, you know, the the plus minus of the Sixers, I don't know exactly what it is, but you know, we you know, we we generally win those games. We play extraordinarily well. So when he's on the floor, the focus is on Embiid. So there have been occasions throughout the season where, of course, just due to fatigue, due to injury, due to, you know, coaching in a, you know, a risk adverse manner, just, you know, rest, um, Embiid doesn't play. And so, you know, you, okay, we don't have Embiid. Now we've got to give Harris more touches. We've got to make sure we get Seth Curry in the game. Um, let's get Danny Green a couple extra shots on the perimeter. Let's get Maxi in there. Give him a shot. See what he can do. Um, and so it's kind of like we're all on board with plan B. And we probably win about 50% of those games. But when a bead's on the floor, he's going to get the ball. And if he can't, you know, basically hit that sort of mid-range fade or explode to the rim, then that, then that kind of, you know, it, it puts him in a difficult position. The three-pointers are a little bit more difficult for him to hit. And we keep going to him. It's just like it's almost like a habit. You've got, you know, you've got Big Daddy out there on the court. Got to get him the ball and see what he can do. When he's explosive, he might hit. He might go for eight assists. You got to team him. I mean, he has that kind of gravity in the game. So very disappointing to see him struggle. And I'm, and in the Hawks, um, I think that the Hawks have been sort of undervalued maybe disrespected a little bit going into this series. They've got my attention now. They've got a lot of length out on the perimeter. Um, Trey Young, I mean, the guy, one thing I don't like about him, Dan. Yeah. yeah, he's a volume shooter. I don't I don't like that. I, I'm an accuracy guy. I mean, give me, right? I mean, give me the Durant sniper. You know, give me these guys. They're going to shoot 55% anytime. Um, I got, Trey Young, I, I love the 18 assists as a fan, but 8 of 26 and we lose that game, that, that's a little bit tough to swallow. The length, the explosiveness. Dan, what's the guy's name? Number 13, I think Bogdanovich. Yeah, I don't know which Bogdanovich. The Hawks. He's one of the Bogdanoviches. Yeah, he was that's the one right. who was, was so, to Milwaukee. Like wasn't he? He had That's signed right. a deal with Milwaukee, and something happened, and he ends up. It, it got rescinded, and I think he was traded to Atlanta. Right, and what's what's nuts is that when he did that, we're all like, "Oh, he's just going for the money. He's just going for the money." Atlanta's not going to mm-hmm. do anything. Atlanta's not going to be in the playoffs, and all of a sudden, this guy is shredding us from the <laughs> three point line. We we can't. We're trying to get a you know, a hand in the face on this guy. And because of young, when young dives to the lane, they've got that option where it's either going to be a dunk to Capella or he's going to, you know, he's going to pitch the ball out to the perimeter to, uh, to Collins or Bogdanovich and Bogdanovich or even Gallinari sometimes, but one of these big six foot nine, six foot 10 guys um, who can knock down the three they're making things very difficult for us, especially when Embiid is out there going 0 for 12. 
So, so well, I'm concerned. I'm, look, the, the 76ers title hopes are based on Embiid being a 30 and 15 guy, which to his credit, he was all regular season long. The Sixers finished in first place predominantly because of him, because of his performance. And yeah, if you take that out of the mix, if suddenly he's 17 and seven and is, you know, going 0 for 12 in the second half, you're, you're not, that's, that's not NBA finals. And I don't know, like, I don't even know if you're getting out of this series, but the, the Hawks, the Hawks have some injury issues as well. You know, our guy, DeAndre Hunter, part of our UVA yes. 2019 championship squad. He, you know, a young player, but a lot of impact on that team yep. this year. Cam yes. Reddick out of Duke with, yes. with someone who can help them. Yep. Now, you know, these are these are big rotation players for the Hawks. I do think, though, yep. that what we're seeing is that the Hawks have more depth. And even with yep. Young, you know, at, at the low percentage, and you and I have been debating this for years because, you know, I don't know. You didn't think Kobe Bryant was as good as advertised because of his shooting percentage. We can talk about that That's later. True. But, you know, right now, the, the, with the Hawks showing something and winning that road game in game four, the, the, the Sixers are, are in trouble. And I, I don't know that there's anyone who can carry the load with Embiid not being the leading scorer. I don't know that Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons are, you know, yeah. Even if you get 30 points from Harris, it's kind of like a a low calorie yeah, 30. It's not going to happen. It's yeah. not. And it's going to win you the happen. So, right now, it's, you know, Sixers, have, Sixers are really up against it going into game five. I, as a fan of the game, I love the Hawks' depth and potential for what they can do next year. And actually, Dan, I lived in Atlanta, you know, from. Um, like around 97 to 2000, I saw Leonard Hamilton's last game with the Hawks against, I think it was like Jason Terry. And I can't remember who was in the, um, who was on that, who was on the wizards team. But so I followed Atlanta a bit. I like their youth. I like their depth. I felt like, I feel like they have grown that team in extremely organic way. Um, The Sixers, I, I like our team. I like our depth. You know, when we have, um, you know, we got Dwight, Superman coming off the bench, Come on. Shake Milton. Come on. That's depth. Maxie. Dwight Howard is depth. For 16 minutes, he's going to give you 12 points, 10 boards. And six fouls. Protection. Okay. okay. We need every one of them. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but no, I think, but, but here's what, but, you know, but point, but to your point, whereas, whereas the Hawks are, have been organically, kind of molded into potentially, you know, you know, shaped into a, an entity that can make deep runs the next three, four years beyond Ben Simmons and Embiid and Harris, you know, the Sixers look a little bit like Frankenstein, you know, when it comes to putting together our players, I like the maxi draft, um, but with, you know, green and Curry, veterans that we brought on late that do their you know that can do their job but we don't really have you know kind of that you know youth hungry youth off the bench that believe they can push starters 
and go for 25, 30 if they need to. We've got, we've got role players that are coming off the bench and trying to fulfill a role. I think, and here's, here's the other thing, Dan, um, Thibel and Ben Simmons. I mean, talk about bizarre niches as far as their play. Thibel, I've never seen a player defensively. He is extraordinary. And we see that in Philadelphia with Thibel coming off the bench and he, he can bother you know, he can bother a young, you know, he can bother Beal when he gets out there, but he'll get like, he'll go five points, zero assist, zero boards, four or five games in a row. It's, it's odd to see that, to see someone in a position where they just, whatever their impact on the game is, doesn't show up in the stat sheet. Ben Simmons is in kind of a similar position. It is so frustrating to watch a guy unable to finish around the rim, inconsistent from the free throw line. Yep. Doesn't desire to test the mid-range jumper against smaller guards. Nothing from the perimeter beyond the three-point line. The equalizer. You know, he can't take advantage of that is all. He can dive to the basket, doesn't finish, finishes 50% of the time within zero to three feet, goes to the line. Now, defensively, extraordinarily, extraordinary, elite. Um, Rebounding, one of the best rebounding guards in the NBA. Great court vision, high basketball IQ, kind of knows what he can and can't do and sticks to that. But man, when to watch him, to watch the space, to watch defenders just sag off him and allow them the luxury of double teaming an MB, um, sticking like glue to a Curry, you know, sticking like glue to our perimeter players because he has zero gravity. You know, that's frustrating. But those two players um, on the 76ers, it in comparison, like DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, these lengthy six foot nine guys on the Hawks that can Collins can come in and dunk. He yeah. can stand in the corner and hit a three. We don't really have that. We need, we need a special kind of coaching to try to get our guys together. That's why I said, you know, we're, we somewhat resemble like a Frankenstein creature beyond big three, beyond the triumvirate of, <laughs> of Philadelphia. Well, it, it, that's a great metaphor for it. And I don't know, man, unless Embiid can find some special gear, some superhuman gear to get through this injury and get back to what we know he can do. Um, you got to almost start looking at, at Atlanta, even with their own injury issues, to, w- to win this series. Bill, I'm going to do uh, something I like to call this date in Toronto Raptors history. Uh, hashtag on Twitter, T-D-I-T-R-H. I think I got that right. This date in Toronto Raptors history. It's a, it's a day from now, but it's June 17th, 2019. Uh, a historic day in Toronto and Canada. This was the day of the Toronto Raptors victory parade. Um, I was in uh, a tr- uh, TV truck, Dome Productions, uh, overseeing the production of the World Feed. It was one of the longest days of my life. Uh, the parade started at uh, the exhibition grounds 
in Toronto around, uh, I think it really started around 8.30 in the morning, maybe 9. But I, I felt like we were live by 8.30 um, because of the millions of people scattered throughout the streets of Toronto. Uh, it took forever. And it, it was about 3.30 before the team finally arrived at Nathan Phillips Square. Um Tens of thousands of people had been waiting all day. It was a day that Toronto and Canada will never forget. June 17th, 2019. Earlier that day, I I spoke to Michael Landsberg of TSN, and he said to me, this is the biggest celebration in Canada since Victory Day of World War II in 1945. So that's that's how big a day that was in Toronto, Canada. This date in Toronto Raptors history I know I was there. Check it out on Twitter. I can't remember the hashtag at the moment. It's it's too much of a jumble. We're with uh, my my best college buddy, teammate, mate, friend, Billy Ravenel, Billy Raven out of Philadelphia. We're going to take a short break on gym rats and joints. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Western Conference semifinals and some outrageous news that's going to affect those outcomes. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Back on Gym Rats and Joints, I'm Dan Gladman, joined by Billy Ravenel, basketball guru expert out of Philadelphia and one of my best friends, also another best friend of mine, producer Dan Wong. I'm reading a tweet here. It's uh, it's 9 a.m. and it's Brian Windhorse of ESPN. Kawhi Leonard is expected to miss game five against the Jazz tonight with a knee injury suffered in game four. His status for the rest of the series, is in doubt as well. Leonard told teammates last night to prepare for him to be out. He landed awkwardly on a drive in the fourth quarter and grimaced in pain Monday. He briefly stayed in the game but didn't finish as the Clippers secured the win to even the series 2-2. Billy, I'm a huge Kawhi Leonard fan. And I don't give a shit what team he's playing for. (laughs) I loved him, obviously, on the Toronto Raptors for that glorious one year. I loved him on the San Antonio Spurs, where the Spurs, to me, played. uh, I'm spacing on the year, but it was that year um, that they knocked out. I guess it was 2012. They beat the Heat. The Heat were the two-time defending champions. The Spurs The Spurs. 2014. Yeah, I think it was 2014. Yeah. Even Chris Bosch said it. He said they played the best basketball I've ever seen played, and they did. And even with yeah, veterans, Duncan, Nobly, Parker, it was Kawhi Leonard who was the finals MVP and was the best player in that series. I love Kawhi Leonard. I had no problem with him going to the Clippers. What like Just when it seems like the Clippers are about to get right. through it, 
again, they've come back from 2-0, and now Kawhi's out. Bill, I'm sure you're going to agree with me. They don't have to stand a chance now. No, no. I, I, I totally 100% agree with you. I mean, is this the Clippers' curse? I mean, I think it was Sir, Sir Charles that said on <laughs> national TV, you know, one thing, you know, the, the three things you can count on in life, something to the effect of death, you know, the three things you can count on life, you know, like death, taxes, and the Clippers. Clippers suck, you know, <laughs> you know, the Clippers and um, gosh, man, it's, you know, I, let me tell you something, Dan, I do not feel sorry for the city of Los Angeles at all. <laughs> You've already got, two, on, you got two basketball on, teams and um, no, no. And besides Leonard, I cannot forgive you. Ping pong bounce, destructive <laughs> jump shot. From the corner in Toronto, where you where you sunk my poor seventy six. Uh, we weren't B to the locker room crying like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh, that went that series went back and forth. But you needed to talk. I, I mean, he, I know, right? I know we did not. Oh my gosh, I can't. Incredible how you know emotionally wrapped up we get. In the, in the NBA drama, but um, no, I, the Clippers look. Leonard is the center of that team by far. Everything he does, I mean, he he can be, his scoring is extraordinary from the mid range. His defense is just um, it's it's unbelievable. You know, he's the got to have out on the court. Paul George, you know, um, I got to say it, he hasn't he. He's gone beyond playoff P, in my opinion. He's playing better, you know, for these playoffs. And a lot of that has to do with the space that Leonard creates, you know, just being on the floor. He's able to, you know, Paul George has a lot of room to operate, especially if he's going to take between seven and 12 three-pointers every game. And he's a good defender in his own right, but he's not really – can he depend on Paul George to create – Oh. Shots you need, yeah, exactly. No way. Exactly. Yeah, you really can't. Yeah, you can't. You can't. And they have nowhere and, else. Um, There's nowhere else to turn. If George is the number one yeah. option, what what's number two now? Reggie Jackson. Right. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So they're. Uh, yeah. So they're. So I think the Clippers are. There's. They're in trouble. They're in trouble. Even without. Um, I think Utah's got Conley is still not going to play the next game. And maybe he brought a little bit more consistency and fluidity to their offense than I thought he would have, having watched a couple of games where he's out. But, no, the Jazz are for real. Um, I think that I've heard them referred to as kind of like the Gonzaga of the NBA. <laughs> you know, just a solid a solid coach team. Um who maybe don't have the stars or the, you know, the notoriety of like the New York and Miami and LA franchises, but they're, they're dangerous nonetheless. And their defense is solid, you know, especially with Rudy down there in the center, you know, as the rim protector. Um, and they've got alpha level scoring in Donovan Mitchell. And they've got three pointers that can, shred you including Mitchell 
Mitchell has a choice. He's gonna he can hit a three with a hand in the face. He can dive the lane and dish to yep. to some of these um to some of the three pointers that Utah has, and they've got championship level defense with their yep. max level center who could give you 12, 20, 20 boards and four right. blocks any right. night, and he moves well. You know, ground zero for uh, COVID in the NBA. Um, <laughs> Rudy Goddard. <laughs> Don't let him touch well, your mics, you know, being in the media. No, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, COVID almost almost broke Utah apart. It looked like Mitchell and Gobert were, were never going to be friendly again. You, know, you, you mentioned the three-point shooting in Ingles, and I think they have the other Bogdanovich. They, 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 have, they have everything going for them right now, even without Conley in, in the lineup and, you know, We've lost Billy a little bit, so it looks like I'm I'm on my own until until Billy comes back. But what what I'm worried about for the Clippers is the reliance on Kawhi Leonard, and I don't know that they have any chance to move forward in this series without Kawhi. I, I think the Clippers are so fragile that. They won't even win another game if, if Kawhi doesn't play. He's so clearly the anchor, the championship experience, the finals MVP experience, and really the the threat offensively and defensively. The Jazz, they showed something all year. They were in first place. They struggled a little bit going down the stretch of the regular season. Um, but But now... You know, I thought they looked great, but then they did lose the two games to the Clippers. So I, I started to have some of those questions again. But I think they're going to they're going to coast um, into the into the Western Conference Finals now. If if Kawhi doesn't play, I think the curse of the Clippers, as Charles Barkley and my friend Billy Raven might have said, um, belabors the point that the Clippers are cursed and might never make it to the NBA Finals, not even to the Western Conference Finals. So Billy's gone. Is is Wonger there? Can we talk to Wonger? Oh, you can talk to oh, me, okay. my brother. Yes, absolutely. Give me two seconds, though, and we'll fix you're, it yeah, all you're, up. You're coming into the conversation, Wonger. So I'm going to start this. We, we have one more series to talk about, and it's over. The Suns swept uh, the Denver Nuggets, who were without Jamal Murray, four games to none. And, and it, we're seeing... We're seeing the real trend, unfortunately, in the NBA playoffs just in the course of this conversation. There is not one team that is not severely hampered by injury or, or COVID illness. Case in point, SportsCenter Twitter, Twitter, again this morning, Chris Paul has entered the NBA's health and safety protocol and is out indefinitely jeopardizing his availability for the Western Conference Finals. This news first reported by The Athletic and confirmed to ESPN. I mean, th- this is this is something that is chasing all of us right now. We're all in this situation. Uh, you know, I'm going out to Victoria in two weeks to, to work on the, the host broadcasts of the FIBA Olympic Qualification Tournament. And if, if I got a positive test, I would probably lose my ability to work. So it's something that can happen to all of us. The fact that this is going through to Chris Paul right now 
on the cusp of really his greatest triumph in the NBA and his first really legitimate crack to get to the NBA finals in an otherwise brilliant career. Um, it just has to be so devastating at, at a level that would be hard to imagine. You, you know what I'm saying, Wonger? I, I, can you hear me right now? Can you hear yeah, me? Yeah. Okay, just double checking. Um, the biggest thing for me is this guy played out of his mind. I'm going to pull up. He's 36 years old. And during the, during the playoff uh, with, uh, sorry, Denver, he scored 25 points per game. 61.8 shooting, 58% from three, and a thousand percent, or sorry, a hundred percent from the line and dish out 41 assists. The guy's playing otherworldly at 36 years old. And it goes to this how you play the game, how you take care of yourself. And I think, you know, one of the things we talk about with Andy Routens and Javon is how the short shortened season, how the bubble and lack of, and I know this is COVID, but these things are building up over a contracted two-year season. Yeah. And, you know, Kawhi was never better. Maybe Kawhi was never better from two years ago, from three years ago. And, to you know, and I know they played another level. Here comes Billy back. I know they played, uh, you know, losing to Denver, up 3-1 last year. I don't think – I do not think that uh, Kawhi ever got better, and it just shows that, you know, the aspect of injuries and illnesses, especially during this COVID time, are change everything and actually hurt the game a little bit, you know. So we're not seeing the best players play. You, you, you're making a great point, Wonger, and, and there is – you know, there is some credence to the argument that maybe when COVID happened, maybe that that season, that bubble season shouldn't have taken place. And maybe you just, the NBA, like the rest of the world, takes a break. You know, it, it, it's a hard argument to make because it was so valuable for all of us, for the world, to see sports get back at some level. And the NBA was, was at the leading charge of that. You know, Billy, great to have you back, my dude. We're, we're, we were just... We were just talking about Chris Paul and the devastation I feel for him. You know, I'm just a fan of basketball. I, I've never met Chris Paul. I've never spoken to him, but I've watched his career going all the way back to Wake Forest. And in fact, I saw Chris Paul play at an under 21 world championship one year in Halifax. And I saw him and his Wake Forest teammate, uh, I think it was Justin Gray. And they put on a clinic oh, wow. in winning winning a, a, a youth tournament for, for USA. But that's totally besides the point right now. The guy is finally in the Western Conference Finals. The Probably the best chance he will ever have to get yes. to the NBA Finals. Bill, what, 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 do, you, what do you think upon, upon hearing this, this terrible news for this player? I'm, I'm devastated for CP3. Because I really thought that he was going to break through and he was with the Clippers. And, gosh, maybe that's the Clippers' curse again. Awesome. You, know, some, you know, something about the Clippers. They just can't quite get to the next level. And I'd kind of, to be honest, Dan, I, you know, Dan and Dan, I'd kind of given up 
a little bit on on CP3. He has been so extraordinarily consistent and professional. He's the way, like he's the way you want to play basketball. The way that CP3 plays basketball, that's what you want to see on the basketball court. It just seems that he's able to to lead his team to getting the best basketball shots that make sense in the scheme of basketball at an absolutely elite level. And maybe for him, that was part of the frustration of playing with James Harden, who prefers, you know, to have the ball in his hands and to run sort of isolation schemes where it's kind of Harden against the world to try to either hit the three or make the pass. Um, CP3 seems a lot more, seemed a lot more comfortable in Phoenix. I think that Monty Williams, the coach, has done an incredible job with that team to lead them to this point, a 4-0 sweep. You know, that was, that was amazing. And obviously he had a lot to do with that, playing at, a, at an incredible level at 37 years old, I think he is. 36. Um, 36. Okay, 36 yeah. years old. Yeah, don't want don't to rush him along. We want to. Maybe in his just, 37th, yes. Maybe turning 37 later on this year. Okay. But yeah, we don't want to rush him along. We want to savor, you know, the brilliance of CP3 as long as we can as fans. But I really thought. Oh, we lost him again. Bad connection there, Wonger. This is a good. This is a good question, though. Um, you know, he, he was talking about leaving Harden. He didn't like playing in Houston with Harden. That being said, they were a game away from knocking off Golden State. He hurts his hamstring. That's right. What would have been the storyline, and would he have left? You know, he could have. They could have won a championship or at least gotten to the championship. And I sit there and I say, you know, great players play great. He and Harden didn't get along, obviously, because of shot selection. But they were two of the best players still. And I'm wondering, you know, on a pure fantasy, let's imagine, where would that team have been had they made the, you know, he would have played another season in Houston. He would have um, come back and this whole story of being, you know, a Phoenix old man and playing the game right. We wouldn't even be talking about it right now because he probably still him and Harden trying to get back to the championship would be maybe this story that we're talking about, the narrative that played out. Yeah, that you give me echoes of, of Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady. It, you know, if they could have made things work out uh, in Toronto. I, I think that w- where this leaves us is what chance do the Suns have, regardless of opponent, in the Western Conference Finals to to win that series and get and get to the and get to the NBA Finals. My 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 knee jerk reaction right now is that everything's turning up Utah. And, you know, if they can get to the Western Conference Finals now, get by a Kawhi-less Clippers, maybe Mike Conley comes back. And now if you're looking at a Utah-Phoenix series with Utah having home court advantage, Chris Paul not being there for the Suns, you know, suddenly you're looking at Utah really now on, on this morning as we're speaking, Utah being the favorite out of the West 
and to get back to the finals since the first time since 1998. And I can already see the flashbacks to Stockton and Malone and losing in those two years, 97, 98 to Jordan and Wonger. You know, I'm a basketball historian. So, you know, there's a huge part of me that that loves to see it. Not that there isn't some history to the Suns. I, they were they were in the finals, I think, uh, with Paul Westfall. I think it was 78 or 79, something like that. So they have some history too, but that's that's the ancient history. Yeah, yeah. and Chuck and Sir Charles in 92, 93. Oh, yeah, 90, was 90, oh, yeah, yeah. You're right. That's right. They did get their 93 and lost yeah. to, to Jordan. So, in six, yeah. Whichever way you go, you know, it's turning up our childhood era of, of NBA finals. But, man, it's just like literally every team we talked about today – and we, we basically talked about seven teams. The only team that's not ravaged with injury and illness is, is the Milwaukee Bucks. And they just, you know, they're just playing under this kind of automaton coach who hasn't been able to get them to the promised land with one of the best players in the league for three years. Yeah, I, I, I really wanted to jump in quickly there with uh, when you you and Billy were talking about the Bucks. That is... Charles Barkley said they were an embarrassment last night losing, but it reminded me and I don't want to, I don't want to hurt Billy too badly, but it did remind me of, I think it was the 16, 17 point lead that Philly had on the Raptors or 14 point lead on the Raptors in game seven. They, it was one of those things where the coaches needed to make a change and just didn't react quick enough. And it shows you the importance of great coaching that is then the team can dynamically. And this is what Nick Nurse did so well during that championship run. He changed defenses. He made the team better. So it's really interesting to me how uh, the Bucks have kind of looked lost out there. It's, I mean, this is them losing four in a row to the Raptors two years ago. This is what it feels like. Yeah, well, that 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 game five definitely it did feel like that. It it felt like they were the deer in the headlights to coin a phrase. And yeah, they they just they just seem to lack something. As, as the games get bigger and bigger, uh, the Bucks are lacking. I mean, Paul Pierce many years ago called it it. You know, when he said that about the early day Raptors with De- Demar Derozan and Kyle Lowry, they were lacking. Something that you kind of you can't describe, but look, the Bucks showed something in games three and four, so there should be a resilience to them in game six, and especially if uh, you know if neither Harden nor Irving can go. And and like I said earlier, I think I think they should just pull Durant as well and let give game six to Milwaukee. That's risky. The betters won't like you. The wagerers. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't even travel Durant and and Harden to Milwaukee for game six. I would leave them home getting 24-7 treatment and lining up for game seven. Billy, I, I want to go to you for one more thing. We're, we're, we have a shaky connection, so I want to do this last thing with you. You know, Bill, when, when you and I were freshmen and sophomore students – uh, at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, 1991 to 93. One thing I remember doing with you often 
Well, I remember, I remember going to some uh, some fraternity parties with you. Some of the sketchier fraternities. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but what I really remember, and really the reason I went to UVA for a couple of years, it, honestly, was to make friends with people like you, uh, but also to go to the sporting events. And you, you and I went to some some basketball games. Saw some great UVA yeah. players, Bryant Stith. Uh, junior, that's Burkle, right. Yeah, Corey Alexander, cool. and we got to see yep. him play against Duke, Carolina, Eric Montross, Christian Leitner, um, and of course the games that I would never miss going with you were against Florida State. Billy's originally out of Tallahassee, Florida, and he was always telling me Florida State. And Bill, I I fe- I remember you telling me about these guys on Florida State, Sam Cassell. Bobby Sura, you got to watch out for these guys. But uh, are you still there, Bill? Uh, he's gone. So it, it looks like I'm going to have to do the game I'll never forget because Billy doesn't get the chance. And I know Billy went to has a has a lifetime of these college sporting events. But there was a game, I, I believe it was in 92, 93, where on the home court, University Hall, UVA beats Duke with Christian Leitner. I was there, and we, as people do, we ran onto the court. The game was on ESPN. Dick Vitale was there calling the game for ESPN, and I did what college students do on the floor. You rub Dick Vitale's bald head after your team won the game. So that was that was the game I'll never forget going to with my old friend Billy Ravenel, who, you know, considering he's in Philadelphia, doesn't have that much of a connection. Let, let's let wrap up this episode of Jim Rats and Joints. Jim Rats and Joints is written and hosted by yours truly, Dan Gladman, and produced by the amazing producer, Dan Wong. Check out his star-studded other podcast, Footy Prime, which is doing amazing work right now covering Euro, uh, is it Euro 2020, they're still calling it? Um Thank you to Eggplant Studios. We got to get back in there soon. Let's get Toronto to stage three. Um, Big thanks to my guest, Billy Ravenel, uh, one of my best friends in life and a killer lawyer in Philadelphia. Um, That's Billy. Thanks to Jesse Mosco for the rock and roll music in this podcast. Thanks to my cousin Dana for the artwork. You can follow Dan Wong on social media at Dan Wong says you can follow me on social media at DG on the road. Jim rats and joints is on Twitter at Jim rats podcast. Follow us, tell your friends to listen, rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate it greatly. Thank you for listening. We're going to be back next week with a special preview episode of the upcoming season of the Canadian elite basketball league.
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.